When I was in grad school, one of my professors there was a guy named Martin Sanders. He's a friend of mine now. And uh, Martin flies a lot, flies all over the world. He's in significant demand to speak at different things and do different things. And one time he said to me, you know, when I'm on the plane flying, and if I'm super busy, I've got a lot of work I've got to get done on the flight while I'm flying, or if I'm really tired and I don't seem to have the time or the energy to talk, when the person sitting beside me asks the inevitable question, what is it that you do for a living, I just say, I'm an evangelist. And that shuts the conversation down immediately. But when I have the time and the energy, he'll say something like this to them. I'm a researcher. And they go, oh, yeah, and and, and what are you researching? He says, well, right now, I'm doing a study. I'm doing some research on why unchurched people don't go to church. Could I ask you a few questions? And he uses comments like that to begin spiritual conversations. And in fact, he's just kind of joking when he uses the evangelism line because he's always ready to speak to someone about Christ. But it illustrates his thinking, the motivation and the approach and how important it is when you want to open a dialogue with someone. And it asks the question, am I prepared to do that? Am I prepared to do that? Have you ever had the joy, and trust me, it's an incredibly joyful experience of pointing someone to Christ and seeing them cross the line of faith? Am I prepared? Let me pray with you for a moment as we begin. Father, as we bow in your presence now, We are so grateful that earlier in our life, there was a someone or a series of someones that you used to point us to Jesus. And I have a feeling we may not be aware of who all those people are, but there were people typically who were involved in pointing us to Jesus. Thank you for that. And as we consider your word now and consider what you have to say about this to us, We invite you to speak to us very personally. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us and speak this day. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. We're in number five of five series, kind of the unseries series called Neighboring. It all began four weeks previous to this when we talked about being filled with the Spirit, that really everything we were about to begin speaking on is predicated on being filled with the Spirit so that you can live a deeper life, a life that reflects Jesus well, a holy life, and a life of mission, a life of service, that this is the normal call on every Christian's life, without exception. This is how Jesus did, how he did a holy life. This is how Jesus did a life of service, because he was the Spirit-filled God-man. The next week on September the 12th, We talked about the question, as we were sort of launching the church here, we talked about the question of why am I here? Why am I taking up space on the planet? 
What's, per, what's, our, what's our big idea, purpose in life? And we talked about that as well in light of our church. Why are we here? And we talked about pursuing something that God points to us that's bigger than us, something that is eternal. And then we kind of moved very deliberately into the idea of neighboring, and we talked about connecting with that neighbor that lives right beside us, that lives three doors down, that lives across the cul-de-sac, and we talked about a whole series of practical ways that we can begin this sincere relationship with that neighbor, a relationship that even if you didn't get to speak to them about Jesus, you would pursue a type of relationship and friendship with them. Then last week we talked about this, you know, there's just this mass of humanity out there. How do I know who to help? How do I know? Technically, they're all my neighbors, but I can't help every one of them. I can't have a relationship with every one of them. Which ones do I step into their life and how do I help them? We, we, we suggested we can trust Jesus on this, that he will lead us. As we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and he led this guy to a very specific set of circumstances with a specific individual at a specific time, and he stepped into that guy's life. We can trust God to lead us. Today, we're going to ask the question, am I prepared? Given the idea that I have been cultivating a relationship with that neighbor, with the people across the street, with whoever that person is, am I ready to share Jesus with them? Am I ready? The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. So he's saying part of a, a life that's surrendered to God, part of a life that says, you're in charge now, Lord Jesus, would you direct me? In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And in, in other words, anyone that claims to be a follower of Christ, anyone who's a biblical believer, anyone whose life has been cleansed by the grace of Christ and whose life has surrendered to Jesus, um, should be able to present the hope of the gospel in a simple, straightforward manner that people can understand, that people can make an informed decision on. This is what Peter says. When Christ is Lord in your life, we need to be prepared. And you know, there's one of many possible responses to this that I've certainly come across many times in my life. And one response to that call from the Apostle Peter for each one of us is I'll come across people that say, well, I believe I could. Uh, There'd probably be a lot of questions they might ask me that I might not be able to answer but I believe I could share the gospel, the simple yet profound gospel, and the reason for the hope in my life in a way that a pre-Christian, someone outside the family of God, could understand and make a decision. That's a very healthy approach to this. I've also come across any number of people that, that can do that, and they have a special interest in, in going further, in studying more. And they might have pursued something called the field of apologetics. And so they're able to answer some of the common objections that people have 
towards God, towards the idea that Jesus is God, towards the idea that Jesus is absolutely the only way. And they have, they've gone and they've done extra studies, and they, they're prepared to address some of those questions, which, again, is another very legit response and I think a good thing to do. A third one, and sadly, I have come across this one a number of times in my life. Sometimes it's done very overtly, sometimes it's done very subtly, and sometimes it's just hanging in the air like a big matzo ball or whatever, and they'll say something like this, no, I can't. And then I've had them even say to me, and I'm not interested in that at all. And as long as I'm in relationship with God and the people closest to me are, I don't really care about the rest. What I'm about to say cuts really close to the bone. If deep down that's your attitude, where you don't care whether someone goes to heaven or goes to hell, and you have no interest in that and you're not prepared in any way to make a difference, The question needs to legitimately be asked if you have a relationship with Jesus. Now, obviously, only God knows that. But either way, whether you do or you don't, maybe you're living under the illusion that you do. Either way, I'm going to say to you, there's still hope for you in Christ. That you can still repent of that very un-Christ-like attitude. And say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, just like Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3. Another option, I've come across this one many times, and this is a very legit option too. Somebody will say to me, well, I am a follower of Jesus, and, and I love what God has done in my life, and with God's help, I'd be willing to help point someone to Jesus. I understand this matters, hugely matters, that God cares about people outside the family of God. God cares about lost people. Um, But I'm just not sure how to do it. I'm not how to share the gospel in a way that's biblical and accurate and in a way that they could understand. But I'd be willing to learn. Very legitimate response. And over the years that I've been here, many different times we've talked to you about this. We've done classes, we've done seminars, I've preached on this subject a number of times, and we've given you a number of tools to just help you in that process. And later in the message, we're going to talk about a couple of tools that you could potentially use as well. Peter says, always be prepared to share the story of the hope that is within you because of Christ. Am I prepared to do that? He says, as you're being prepared to do that, be sure that you do it, the latter part of the verse says, with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Don't try and pound them into the kingdom of God. Don't look at this as an argument to be won, a person to be dominated. You do it with gentleness and respect. And as the conversation opens with a person, they'll often ask you a a series of questions. And sometimes they may not even make a ton of sense, some of the questions, but what they're doing, and be aware of this, is they're probing you a little bit. They are seeing if in a non-threatening way you actually care about them or not. And once they know that you sincerely care, 
they're much more open to hearing what Jesus wants to do in their life. One day, one of the followers of Jesus, a guy named Philip, is busy doing ministry up in the north part of Israel. And it's going really well. People are coming to faith. People are being healed. Demonized people are being released from the demonization in their life. And God is using him extensively up in the north country. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to him and says, I want you to leave the north country and make a long, arduous journey down to Jerusalem and then on the southwest road through the Judean desert to the land of Gaza. And he heads down south immediately as God has directed him to go. And as I talked about last week, and I'm going to reference again today, I absolutely believe when we pray and say, Lord Jesus, I'm just available based on who you created me to be. I'm available to be used in this process however you want. Would you give me opportunities to exercise the gifts you've put in my life, to share my faith, to point people to Christ? And I believe that God will give us, and I have seen this many times in my life, what I would call divine appointments. And so Philip, in sort of dramatic fashion, and it's not typically in dramatic fashion, but sometimes it is, in dramatic fashion is given a divine appointment by God to which he immediately responds. And as I said, begins this long journey, this long walk, part of it through some pretty significant desert-like area, down to the southwest part of Israel. So if you have your Bible or your device, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament, Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read the story of what goes on in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. And so he's been working in Samaria. The angel tells him to head down to the Gaza, and he goes. And it begins in Acts chapter 8 like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And so he is meeting with a very well-to-do man, the minister of finance for the nation of Ethiopia. This Ethiopian uh, had a chariot. He would have had an entourage. He would have had guards to protect him on the journey. And he meets this guy. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Again, an indication that he's a very well-to-do man. You didn't just go out and buy a copy of the scroll of the book of Isaiah. Very expensive. Entire villages would gather and pool their, mon their monies to buy one copy of a set of scrolls of the Old Testament. So this is a wealthy individual. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. You might want to read that later. We're going to read some of the verses from it in a moment. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? 
the man said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture from Isaiah 53, which speaks about the Messiah, which speaks about the coming Lord Jesus when it was written. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so he meets this guy. He's led by the Spirit of God. The angel tells him to go. The Spirit of God, the angel says, go over. And he runs over and he hangs out with this guy. And he overhears him reading, and a simple question begins a spiritual conversation. And so often in life, it just comes by being aware of your surroundings. We referenced this last week, be in the moment. When we have a willing heart to say, Lord Jesus, I'm willing to be used, however you would see fit. And then just, I like to use the expression, have your spiritual antenna extended and be in the moment. And in a very natural way, beginning right where the person is, the conversation launches. And so it says he began right in the passage that he was reading. So sometimes we have an approach to how we're going to talk to someone, and we almost insist on doing it that way. I've seen many people try to do that. I've probably done that myself a few times. And instead of that, Philip starts right where the guy is. And so maybe you're both reading the same book. Maybe you've both seen the same movie. Um, begin a conversation there. Maybe the whole issue of COVID can be talked about, not in a negative way, not in a way where you're, you know, ranting and raving about whoever or whatever life is treating you, but understanding as you talk to them about COVID, they're probably deeply hurting. There is a whole mass of humanity right now all around us that are going through small d depression because of this. And they're wondering about their future. They're wondering about their security. And you can have a conversation on purpose with them. Maybe they work with you and they've watched you. Like I've often said to you, when you're at work and they know you're a follower of Jesus, they are watching you very carefully, much more carefully than you think. And maybe one day, out, it's going to seem like it's out of the blue. They're going to say, I've noticed something different about you. Could you tell me about it? And at that moment, the Spirit of God has given you the opportunity, an open door to share the story, as Peter talked about, of the hope that is in you. Are you prepared? Real serious question, are you prepared at that moment to share in a way that's biblical, that's accurate, that's inviting, that's understandable? To just tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life. If you're not, can I help? We talk about this often because it's so important. 
It all begins by asking Jesus the question, how should I share my story? How should I share the truth of your work in my life, for which I am so deeply grateful that you saved me, that I have a relationship with you that's eternal in nature? Would you help me understand how to share that with someone if and when they ask me? And we always do this as we pray, remembering that it's not fancy words from you that's going to do it. The Spirit of God brings that person to a place of surrendering their life to Jesus. The Spirit of God, the book of John, convicts them of their sin. The Spirit of God points them to truth. The Spirit of God reveals Jesus to them, and and 2 Corinthians 9 takes the blinders off their eyes so they can see and make an informed decision. Having said all that, he wants to give you the incredible joy that is attached with sharing Jesus with someone that's outside of the family of God. It is such a cool thing to do. Are you prepared? You know, sometimes I come across people that say, well, my story is not that good. Can I just gently say to you, don't you dare say that. Don't dare say that. Because you're diminishing the greatest story in the world. Your story of Jesus going to the cross for you and dying for your sin when you were absolutely hopelessly lost with no way to reconnect with God or have a connection with God. And Jesus sacrificed everything for you. And that is the greatest story in the world, that you are forgiven and that your life is in the hands of God. That is an incredibly valuable story. Decide within your heart that you want to communicate your story rather than share information. Some people will try to download ream after ream after ream of information, but they may not really communicate. And so you're praying and you're saying, Lord, I'd like to communicate the wonderful truth of what you've done in my life. I want it to be biblical, I want it to be accurate. And I want to share the truth in a way that's inviting and understandable. Can I give you some suggestions how to do it? Now, maybe you've already done all this, and that, that's wonderful. And maybe you have a more particular way of doing it. That's cool, too. But let me just give you some instructions on how to do this. Generally, a good life story of how Christ has changed your life can be shared in three or four minutes. Most people will listen to you for three or four minutes. If they want to hear more detail, they'll ask questions. And so you should sort of be ready to share the express version in three or four minutes of what Jesus has done or the more fuller length version as they ask you questions. Again, follow a simple outline. I've been speaking, I've spoken in front of crowds many thousands of times in my life. And I always have an outline. Because this stuff matters. And so the outline is very simple. What was your life like before Jesus? 
Now, if you came to Jesus at a very early age, this part of the story is going to be quite truncated. If you had a particularly colorful life, colorful past before that, you don't have to get into a bunch of graphic detail for some kind of shock value. Second section is talk as specifically as you accurately and truthfully can about the time when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And be as specific as possible. Talk about how you came to realize, I, along with everyone else, you know, I read in the Bible, it says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I realized I was one of those people. And that I, I didn't have a chance of having a relationship with Jesus, just like everyone else. So talk about that. Talk about how you asked him to forgive you and you realized that he's the only way to do this. And that you surrendered your life. Didn't even totally know what that meant, but you gave your life to him and he became the one in charge of your life, the one that set the agenda of your life, the the one that became the Lord of your life or master, whatever words you want to use. Now, let me say, as I always say with things like this, I've heard many hundreds of testimonies in my life. This is almost always the weakest part of it because we make assumptions. Remember that most people you're going to talk to know absolutely nothing. I come across people all the time. They've maybe heard of the word Bible, but they don't know there's an Old Testament They don't know there's a New Testament. They have no idea who Jesus is apart from a swear word. And they, many of them, even well-educated people, know almost nothing. So as specific and truthful as you can be is extremely helpful. If you just say, and I came to Jesus, they have no idea what that means. What they think you mean by that is that you decided to go to church, which of course that's not getting you into heaven, right? Just going to church. But that's what they're thinking. Most of them, anyway. Thirdly, what was your life like after you received Christ? What has life been like? How has God made a difference in your life? And it's just your story. And just share. Um, As you're doing it, seek to say, Spirit of God, would you help me to be clear, to remove all the special language we have in the church. It's wonderful language. It's theological language. It's language from Scripture, but they don't get it. When you use the word sanctified, most of them don't have a clue what you're saying when you say that. They'll just nod like they understand, and they won't. So use words that they can understand to illustrate the truth. May it be deeply inviting. May it be scriptural. Use appropriate verses of scripture to illustrate the truths and be real you don't have to pretend like life's been perfect since you came to jesus because it hasn't there's been problems there's been bumps be real be honest be human talk about how god has walked with you through those problems now as i often do with these things if you're not sure how to do this or you have done it and you'd like to practice and you should practice, trust me. 
so that you are prepared. That's what prepared means. Because this is important. And you'd like to practice in a place that's non-threatening. Any one of the pastors here would be honored to sit down and let you practice. And maybe they'll give you some suggestions about how to do it that will continue to be your story, but in a way that's clear and compelling and inviting. So sharing our story is one thing that every Christian needs to know how to do, without exception. The second thing we all should have is that ability to just to share the truth of the gospel like Peter talks about and what Philip does here. And he, it says in verse 35, he started right where the guy was and he shared the good news of Jesus. And over the years, we have talked to you um, about a variety of methods to do that. You might have your own particular approach. That's just wonderful. Um, we've talked to you about the four spiritual principles a number of years ago. We've talked to you about the Romans road. We've talked to you about do versus done. We've talked about the bridge. We've role-played some of these things out in front of you of how to do it. Use the one or the combination of the ones that you're comfortable with. Let me reference a couple to you today. One that's a helpful tool as you're trying to connect with people. I haven't talked about this one before. It's called Rekindle TV. If you go online, rekindle.tv. And you go on there and it has a whole series of practical tools you can use to connect with people. It'll talk to you about how to connect to different people groups because the nations of the world are coming to Canada en masse. And we welcome them here, and we welcome the opportunity to share Jesus with them. That site gives you very practical information about how to do it. Something that I had a hand in writing part of at least a few years ago which we've handed out to you once a number of years ago, and we've handed out to you again. If you have this, uh, every one of you should have one of these. You would have been given one as you came out, the journey with Jesus. If you're online with us today, uh, the person, the online pastor is putting the link up in the chat section, so you can click on this, or it's in, on the, our website as well. Let's take out this journey with Jesus and this is something I have in my car, I have in my briefcase, I carry it with me everywhere I go. And it just illustrates that discipleship begins the moment you first meet that person. And this little paper illustrates the whole process of when there are those three words across the top, exploring, embracing, embodying. And in particular, the areas that talk about exploring or the areas about embodying. They're not linear things. They kind of swirl around. And so someone who is just in the exploring stage before they have come to Christ, they might say things like to, this to you, ah, it's okay for you, but it's not for me. This is a very common Canadian expression. Or they might say, you know, um, I've had some bad experiences with Christians in the past. Or there's parts of this stuff I don't understand. You know, this thing about Jesus actually being God, I don't know how that can work. I can't get my mind around it. And so that's one of the illustrations from each one of those columns. And they might swirl around in those things. And these are just common points that you're going to see in people. But as you walk with them, the day will come prayerfully come, 
that they want to embrace Jesus. And then some of the key points of what that looks like are right there in the middle section of embrace. And then what does it look like for them to begin growing in Jesus? And again, we've illustrated with a number of the key ideas and points. And again, there's some swirling that goes around in that. They might be filled with the Spirit right away. They might wait for a while to be baptized. And so sometimes it just swirls around a little bit like that. This paper is a snapshot of what we are trying to do with everyone that comes through the doors. When someone comes through the doors of our church, this is the journey we are trying to take them on. It's capsulated in our mission and and vision and and purpose statement. We're, We're trying to get people to know, love, and serve him. So we reach, teach, and equip to know, love, and serve. This is an expanded idea of what we're trying to do with every person that comes through the door. On the back page, here's another method you can use to point someone to Jesus. It just allows, it gives open-ended questions that you can use to help have a spiritual conversation with them. Where are you on the journey with Jesus? And just let them talk. Discover where they are so that you can talk to them about where they are in life. One of the other questions it has is, what's standing between you and giving your life to Jesus? And it's a fairly direct question, but there's several things that they might say. And then if they come to the place where they're ready to receive Christ, you can walk them through the faith commitment on the right side of that back page. And it's all illustrated right there. I encourage you to look this over if you haven't already. It was a big bunch of us having a get-together, having a party. We were playing games. We were eating food. We were laughing. We were having lots of fun. So we didn't hear the crash outside. And I was about 18 years of age when this happened, and we were having a large group of young adults into the house at 1421 Parker Avenue in Regina. It was about January, and so winter was thick in the air. And this guy came around the corner, slid on the ice, lost control of his car, and smashed into Jerry Antosh's car parked right in front of our house. The doorbell rang, and Roger was standing there. Roger was a university student who later went on to become a teacher. Roger wasn't hurt, but both cars were severely damaged. And when he came to the door, he said, I'm afraid I hit somebody's car. And Roger was pretty nervous coming to the door, but he he really did the honorable thing. He came and he looked to see whose car he'd hit. And he didn't know how he'd be received. And I was so proud of the people that were in the room at that time. My friends and the different people, and in particular, Jerry, whose car, if I remember correctly, was totaled. Nobody got mad at Roger. Everybody was really happy that Roger was okay. In fact, we invited Roger in to join our get-together. 
and we started making friends with him, and he had a great time that night. And he became friends with a number of us, myself included, but he became especially good friends with Jerry, the guy whose car he smashed, and with Jerry's then-girlfriend, Susan, now his wife. And one day, not too terribly long after that, Jerry had the privilege of introducing Roger to Christ. A divine appointment meant a smashed car, but a divine appointment. Later on, I heard Roger tell more of the story when he was about to get baptized. And he said, when I rang that doorbell that night, I expected to be greeted with open hostility. But here's what he said. Instead, I was greeted with love. Aren't you glad that someone or a number of someones in your life cared enough about you to point you to Jesus? Your neighbor is waiting.